And at this time, Lawrence Gregory will come with their sermon, Glory and Delight. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Today is November 29th, 2014, the Sabbath, during the Thanksgiving weekend. In past years, we've had many messages concerning the significance of this national day of American Thanksgiving, our heritage and many lessons that we've had from this uh, day that we observe in America, this National Day of Thanksgiving, that was Thursday. But this weekend, today on the Sabbath, I have a different message. And the title of the message today is Glory and Delight. Now, one of the wonderful things about uh, mankind is the commonality we have with God the shared characteristics. Understanding and appreciating this will help us greatly in understanding and appreciating God. Now, I'm talking about the good, the positive characteristics, because we have some bad characteristics, God doesn't, but there are lessons that we learn from the good characteristics of God. When we see things, that is, uh, when we know them uh, about self, then we can know that the good about God. Then we should be able to see or know better things of God and what He's like. Now, keep in mind, not the bad things, because God is only good. He is only positive. But we in humanity, we have some bad things that we need to learn from God on how to deal with those things. Now, we can see this in Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, verse 23 through 24. We'll turn there a little later and uh, reference those uh, verses, but uh, I have a few things to say first, is that uh, for about 40 years, Jeremiah prophesied to the city nation of Jerusalem and Judah, warning them and encouraging them of the things that were uh, coming on them and that they were going to be experiencing. The three great world powers and adversaries of Judah were Egypt, Assyria and Babylon. The Assyrians were defeated in about 612 to 607 BC by the Babylonians and the Egyptians that it was at the destruction of Nineveh and then the Egyptian army was destroyed in about 607 BC at the Battle of Carchemish by the Babylonians and then in three successive invasions against Jerusalem and Judea by uh, Babylon was 606 to 605 BC, 597, and 586, 585 BC in that range there. We know those dates from history. And the final destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonians. Now during this time, Jeremiah was prophesying in Israel, and in Babylon was Daniel and Ezekiel. And also, it's uncertain where Habakkuk, who was contemporaneous during that period of time, was prophesying from, and Nahum in the earlier part of that uh, generation, time, 
that we're thinking about here during those 40 years of Jeremiah's uh, prophecy and Zephaniah. So there were a time when there was a lot of prophetic activity uh, going on about the future destiny of Judea and Jerusalem. So we want to keep that in mind because this is the time setting in the prophecy that we're going to look at here in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Now, uh, Jeremiah was uh, largely rejected. He was called by the leaders and the rulers as a rebel and as a traitor, disloyal, but uh, he was proved right and in his prophecies and his history that we have now for about uh, 2,700 years, 2,600 years, pardon me, uh, has verified the authenticity of Jeremiah and his words. So we want to uh, be warned from the uh, record of Jeremiah on the futility of nations and how some of them uh, trusted in themselves rather than trusting in God. So let's look here in Jeremiah, the ninth chapter, verse 23 and 24. He has some very interesting things for us to consider. Beginning in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So the title of our message today, Glory and Delight, come from these couple of verses here as we begin to examine them a little closer. Now, if you have an interlinear Bible and you have Strong's Concordance, you'll notice that some of these words for glory are translated different words because there's about 10 in the Old Testament and 10 or so in the New Testament of words that are uh, different Hebrew and Greek words that we have translated into English, uh, the word uh, glory or the word delight. And so we'll be talking about those a little bit. I won't examine all of those words. We can do that later in a Bible study. And there's hundreds of references about glory or different uh, forms of that word glorious or glorify or glorious. Hundreds of those words that you can... Uh, uh, study on your own, and then the word delight that we have from the Hebrew and Greek, sometimes those are translated into other English words, so we can do a vast exhaustive study on uh, these words, but I want to uh, call our attention here to uh, some of the things here uh, in the negative sense about what uh, Jeremiah is saying, and not only was it uh, relative in his days of 2,700 years ago, but we can bring it down to modern times and we can examine and ask, you know, is this the way men are today? Thus says the Lord, let not the, the first one, let not man glory in his wisdom. Now, this word uh, glory is uh, from the uh, Strong's, uh, not the interlinear, but uh, Hebrew is uh, 19... 84, halal, H-A-L-A-L, and we get words like hallelujah, praise, or, or different forms of that word that we uh, know. So there's good and bad uh, use of this word glory, and the good is to be clear, to celebrate, and the negative is to boast 
or to make a show, to be clamorous, to rave, to be foolish. And so mankind in his wisdom looks to his intellect, looks to his knowledge, looks to his understanding of physical facts and information, and he glories in that, in his intellect, in his great, we've seen this uh, in certain haughtiness and arrogance of people that they know a little bit of everything. You talk to some folks, they know they've done it, they've been there, or uh, they know about it. Uh, it's hard to have a conversation because they know everything about everything. And, you know, we see, and they glory in that uh, uh, excellence that they have of their arrogance and their haughtiness. The second thing is they glory in, uh, here, let's, let's go. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Now, there are some men that are strong, that, that do have might, but a lot of them accentuate the physical things like, uh, you know, uh, their physical ability or their physical strength or the things that they've accumulated. And they glory in that rather than glorying in God. And the third thing is, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Now, notice these people can be intellectual, they can have wisdom, they can have strength, they can have riches, but they boast of it like in their money or their positions or their title or their military prowess or uh, something. We've all known people like this who glory in their exaltation of the arrogance of how great and strong and mighty and powerful and rich they are, rather than in, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm rich in money, but I'm poor according to the characteristic of God. So we want to keep this in mind here of the uh, pro and con, the comparison between man and God. And the good things about God we want to be like. And the good things in man, God is like that. And so we can learn a lot about each other, learn about ourselves. But the negative, then we'll consider this. Now, we know this in the negative sense that sometimes men, they, uh, they like to exhibit or to show off their talent, uh, their knowledge, their power, their influence, their wealth as a carnal, vain display of self-glory, rather than doing these things for the glory of God. We see this. Just think about this. People who have a talent. Now, uh, I'm not going to sing today. But, you know, some people have a beautiful instrument of voice, and it's beautiful. And you love to hear them sing, and, and we buy CDs and music and we love to see people sing and you know they develop that talent and they share it with us. But then uh, on the contrary side when somebody is shouting and screaming and yelling and I have difficulty, uh, I'll be frank with you, understanding modern music, uh, modern singers and the way they dress and their scantily uh, almost obscene way that some of the women dance and they seem like everybody has to yell and scream. Now I'm 73, and I remember as a young man growing up hearing music, and you could understand it. And uh, the melody and the words, and uh, you could remember some of those things. A am I talking to, <laughs> I'm talking to a bunch of children today, and they probably don't know what I'm talking about, that old fogey up there, stuck cutting our music down. But 
I have a tough time understanding the lyrics. How many of you, please, are like that? Raise your hand. If some of the, oh, look at the old people raising their hands. <laughs> you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying here. Pardon? Oh, I thought he said preach on or something. Okay. <laughs> here he goes, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, Maybe he's got some better thoughts than I have. <laughs> we better listen to what he's saying here. Okay, yeah. Uh, now, but contrast to that, in verse 24, but, uh, no comments about that. But, let him that glorieth, glory in this. Now, contrast to the three things we saw of human nature, that he understands and knows me, so that is one thing. We glory that we can know God, that we have, now, we're in a minority here, I know. We're small around this world, a few, whatever, millions of people out of eight billion people. And we can thank God that he's chosen to call us and reveal his truth and his understanding and himself personally to us. And we can see, we can know that. So we want to glory in uh, what uh, he has revealed about himself, that we know God, that, and this is three things here, I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. So these three things that uh, we can see about God, we can learn that he is uh, loving kindness. So the good things in man, if we can learn to emulate that and to have loving kindness, I know as we get older, it, it, we tend to be cranky and crabby and uh, less patient, and we have expectations. We, we forget about the expectations for ourselves, and we want to demand this of other people, that they be tolerant, that they be patient, that they be quiet, they be good, you know, and we forget that sometimes um, we ought to be pointing, pointing those fingers back to ourselves. Judgment, making good, right decisions, and righteousness. We've heard this before. We know the definition of righteousness. Now, the world doesn't believe this. They know very little about the Bible. They reject it. They're all caught up in Santa Claus. And, the, and you left that one song out, Reg, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, oh, Gene Autry. That was one bad song he sang, you know, made him famous, made him a lot of money. Rudolph. How many of you know that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? A lot of, here again, old folks. You young folks, you don't need to learn that song. I'm sorry I put it in your mind, Rudolph. Forget it. Forget Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's, it's not true, is it, Reggie? Okay, it's not true. Okay. And uh, let's see here. Uh, righteousness, we, well, I was getting ready to say, we know the definition of righteousness is commandments, keeping God's commandments. The, from the psalm, we have that definition. This is righteousness, the keeping of God's commandments. And we know that those who love God, who keep his commandments, we exalt, oh, God exalts those who keep his commandments. But uh, we'll have some more to uh, say about that. Well, um, glory, as we saw, means to shine or to be clear or to celebrate. And uh, we who understand and know God and are like him, then we begin to take on a little bit of that uh, glory. And so we can ask ourselves, how much loving kindness, how much judgment, 
how much righteousness uh, that we have. And now, I know that uh, there are other words that explain a little more, you know, God's glory of His uh, uh, brightness and His uh, shining like the sun. You know, we, we can't look on God's face because it's so bright and glorious and so bright shining. Uh, and we will talk about that a little later here. I want us to uh, look at this phrase here also. It says that uh, God is, uh, he exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Now, God is concerned about what's going on and going uh, on in this earth, in mankind. And uh, he delights, notice this, the second thing here, for in these things I delight. And so if God finds a person that is righteous, that has loving kindness, that exercises judgment, he delights in that person. So how much, are, how much like that are we? How much good judgment, uh, good loving kindness, and uh, good righteousness do we have? Or are we in a negative frame and does God not like us as well because he delights in this thing? Now, this word delight here is... Uh, from Strong's is number 2654. Now, I, I've said that in the inner linear, if you'll check these, uh, the words glory and delight, uh, they'll sometimes have a different number and take you to a different word, but there are a number of different Hebrew words here, we're talking now in the Old Testament, that uh, are also translated in the English uh, glory or delight. And here, uh, this word is uh, translated, and it means to incline, to bend, to be pleased with. And so God is pleased, he is inclined, he bends over backwards, we can say that phrase, you know, he makes extra effort for those who are like that, who have that good quality. And we know the contrary of scriptures that, you know, God hates evil, he hates sin, and, and, uh, but those that are righteous and good before him, God pays attention, he loves them. So if God is pleased with wisdom, knowledge, and righteousness, then he would be pleased with man that had those things in himself, right? So we have to ask ourselves uh, these questions, just basic questions. How much loving kindness? How much good judgment? How much righteousness do I have? Because if I have a lot of this, then God is going to be pleased. He's going to have a lot of delight in me. Uh, so we can recognize these traits of character, characteristics in God, and then we can ask, are they in man? Well, no, uh, most of mankind doesn't have those. Then we can learn something about man. Then we ask ourselves, what, uh, what about me? How much of those do I have in my life? Then we can learn about uh, a lot about ourselves by doing good things, by avoiding the opposite characteristics. Now, uh, while we're here, I want to continue on in Jeremiah the 25th, verse and 26. Behold, this is a different paragraph, a different thought, but it's a futuristic prophecy as we can see here. The days come, not only ahead of uh, Jeremiah in his life, now Jeremiah started prophesying in about 727 BC, and he prophesied about 40 to 42 years, about uh, 585 he disappeared from Egypt, 
Now history, I'm not sure if he died in Egypt or he went back uh, or if he was taken into Babylon captivity, but history leaves there. But secular history, and there are a lot of good histories that show that Jeremiah, uh, that Jeremiah went on to Ireland with his scribe of Baruch, and he took some of the princess's daughters of the royal house of David, and they married up with some more of the royal house of David, the princess in Ireland, and then with Scotland and England and the, and the Ark of the Testimony that uh, maybe, they don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is. When the temple was destroyed, what happened to it? Well, there's a lot of speculation. That Ark was taken to Ethiopia, to the Queen of Sheba, took it down there and buried it. It's uh, speculation that it's buried in some of those underground tunnels, subterranean uh, uh, areas under Jerusalem. Uh, some of that was that, uh, well, like some of the equipment of the temple, some of the utensils, the golden utensils, were, ta were taken to Babylon. And then later, the Persians, when they overthrew the Babylon, they were able to take and send back some of that gold and silver back to uh, the days of Ezra and Nehemiah into the temple, uh, the second temple that was built uh, during their days, and have some uh, utensils in the temple of gold and silver. We know that history from the scripture. But the Ark of the Covenant, now there are, if you have Judas Scepter, Joseph Birthright, and uh, I, can, I can mention a number of other articles uh, and books that will portray that uh, from authentic facts that Jeremiah did go to and is buried there in Ireland and uh, with uh, uh, some of the other, with the royal princesses of the house of, uh, of Judah and the Jewish throne was transferred from Judah to Ireland, to Scotland, to England, and we know the history of a lot of that where Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mary, Queen Victoria, going back in ancient times, those kings and queens of Scotland and of England, sit on the royal throne of the house of David. And when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to transfer that throne back to Jerusalem, and he'll take over, and he'll sit on the throne of his father David. So that'll be an existing throne that is there today. This is a lot of history and uh, it's real interesting when you start talking about our American Day of Thanksgiving and you start going back to the pilgrims and their history and the heritage and coming from Europe and England and, and uh, the lessons learned uh, and you begin to tie into that we're Israel and our Israel, a lot of our forefathers, a lot of our pilgrim fathers and uh, our uh, uh, presidents and, and uh, Abraham Lincoln and uh, George Washington, a lot of these men knew and understood a little bit about the identity of the house of Israel. And so they understood the significance of some of that. You can go back and read, read a lot of the, some of the even religious leaders that were very prominent back in the um, 1700s that knew this. But I don't want to go too far from my subject here because we have here in uh, verse 25 and, and 26, Behold, the days come not only in Jeremiah's time ahead of him, but we could say in our days today, says the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, now, we, we know a lot about circumcision, circumcision on the heart of the ears, getting covered, you know, and cutting off and the uncircumcision and, and the significance of that. Uh, we, we know that from Old Testament and New Testament, so I don't have to spend a lot of time on that. Egypt and Judah, and Edom, and the children of Ammon, and Moab, that's the Jordanians today, and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness, 
For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. They've not been cut off, they've not been purified, not been changed, not been exposed, not been revealed, the things that are in their heart. Now, this is a warning here to, uh, that we won't go into uh, too much here today for our uh, message here. Uh, let's go to uh, Jeremiah, the, uh, no, let's go back to, I'm, I, I covered those two verses, back to Deuteronomy, and uh, go back to Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter. We'll look at uh, Deuteronomy 10, and uh, beginning in verse 12. New paragraph here of thought. Uh, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. Question mark. What does he require of us? That's what he requires of us. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God. The earth also, with all that therein is, only the Lord had a delight in your fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Now, I know it troubles a lot of people about American exceptionalism. And uh, God has chosen Israel for a reason and a purpose, and a blessed and poured out so many benefits on us. And I've gone through this before and, and, and showed how in the scriptures, and contrary to man's feeling and their rejection, how God chose Israel to be the chief of the nations, to be the leader, to be the strong. Now, he didn't want us to be the policeman of the force and to control everybody but, uh, of the uh, nations, but to be a leader and to be an example and to be chief and to have influence among the other nations. That's, that's a separate thought here, but here, continuing on to verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. This is what God does. This is how he looks. Love you therefore the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him shall you serve, and him shall you cleave, and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, that has done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God has made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. And we could count today those Israel peoples around this earth today in the billions 
compared to about 8 billion of all Gentile of other nations, plus the Israel nations, and where those tribes of Israel are today, just as God promised from a few folks. And those of us who have uh, observed Thanksgiving just a couple of days ago, Thursday, uh, I know one time I looked back uh, and I stopped counting many years ago, I counted from my mother and father, 65 descendants. And I'm sure now there would be in the hundreds, counting all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And because there were, at our place, uh, there were a number that weren't there, but we had 24 uh, there in attendance for the Thanksgiving meal. Some of you probably were by yourself, or maybe you had a large family. I know Steve was just recently at the Feast of Tabernacles with 30 of his kids. Now, that doesn't count all of your other, your, your other relatives, right? from uh, your family, uh, your, your other uh, cousins and... Oh, okay. You've outlived them. Okay. Okay. You still started counting like I did earlier because uh, I know my mother, uh, she made 95 and she's been gone f several years and my mother-in-law was 95 and, uh, you know, long living people, but, you know, there's a lot of descendants. Uh, that, have, uh, that we have maybe in the multiple dozens, some of us, and maybe not. If you're, if you're young, uh, you need to get married first, then you can have descendants <laughs> in that order. Get married, start preparing, learn this. When you get married and you get a house, you're going to start getting things, collecting things. You'll need an attic, you'll need a garage, you'll need... And don't sell your garage, whatever you do, because you'll need things in that house, right? A single person, you don't have much. Uh, well, no, you, you can have character, but I mean, in items. But when you get married, right, you start collecting things. And um, I don't know, that doesn't have anything to do with the message here, but uh, just getting a little carried away. When you get old, see, you can do that maybe. <laughs> right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to always agree with everything. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, now, in the New Testament, we won't uh, spend a lot of time on this, but glory is used as the character description of God. Honor, praise, worship as a noun, as a verb. Uh, it can be uh, used in a good sense or a bad sense to boast. You know, God can state in a right way without boasting, but men, you know, we start boasting about uh, the things that we've accumulated or achieved or done or have. It's just a peculiarity of human nature. And if we would focus more, just think, I've said this so many times, and I'm, you know, so much would be revolutionized if men would start thinking about God and how much like Him am I? And being like God, rather than being just like carnal men and, and, and causing all kinds of problems, won't it be wonderful when the kingdom of God is here, when God is in control and Jesus Christ is here and His Spirit is throughout this? I know it's, it's kind of limited now, and, uh, but won't that be a wonderful time when He is here in person, His Spirit is available, and men are really wanting to be like Him all over the world. They're learning to put off the human things and look at things from God and his point of view. Now, uh, let's go uh, to the New Testament and let's go to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 
Second Corinthians. Third chapter. We're going to be reading here a number of verses uh, from uh, verse 7, breaking into a, a thought here. But if the administration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. And we know the story in the Old Testament of how, you know, God, when he brought Moses up to him and his glory shined and transferred on Moses' face and he put the veil over so when he went back, you know, that that glory would be covered and uh, they wouldn't see as it dissipated and Moses began to look like an ordinary person or it was too bright, they couldn't see uh, Moses. Uh, they would be struck dead or blinded because of the glory that was transferred from God to Moses. And so he was veiling that and he was covering that. So there's a, a great uh, lesson for us here in all of this. The example of uh, Moses and the glory. Uh, that was a, there was a glory as we read here. Uh, that glory was to be done away with ev eventually and ultimately. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory... Much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. So in comparison, here's what we're comparing the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the glory of those physical things and the expression of those physical things that were uh, somewhat limited. You know, there was faith, there was grace, there was love, there was righteousness, there was goodness uh, among a few, not the masses. Now, the, uh, keep in mind the great contrast here of what Paul is laying out for us in a few verses and many other scriptures for us to understand that ultimately in the future, in the new covenant, and it's beginning now with a few, but with the, in the Old Testament it was limited to just a few righteous and the masses were largely in ignorance. Although they had some physical uh, benefits and blessings, uh, the nations around the earth, but they didn't have God. But in the future, it's going to be advanced and accelerated, and the glory will be available to everyone, every one of us, every one of mankind will be offered that opportunity to share in that glory. And so, in this sense, the new covenant excels the old covenant. The new glory excels the old glory. If we keep that, keep that uh, analogy and that comparison in mind uh, as we work through here, we'll, we'll better understand this. For verse uh, 9, for if, uh, repeat it, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. I read that. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Oh yeah? This is real plain, right? We really understand this. It's real easy to understand what he's talking about. Paul, it was probably real plain to him, but we have to study this for after over years and months. And what is he talking about? You know, the comparison, the physical and the limitations and the analogies. That was glorious. 
But now we have an excel. We have more glorious because we have it accelerated and advanced. Uh, that's really plain. Anybody ought to understand that, little children included. Uh, even if you're not old, you can understand that. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, tongue in cheek, maybe. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. So we know this. A lot of people read the Old Testament. Oh, that's so confusing. I, stay away from that. That's, we're, we're New Testament. New Testament church. That Old Testament, you can't understand it. You'll go blind trying to understand it. Because there's a veil there. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, or he, or there, or the person, it's talking about the person, when that, when that person, not calling them it's, uh, it could be maybe, uh, okay, that's another subject. Uh, when that person turns to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed unto the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And this is verse 18. Uh, we sang that song uh, during the uh, part of the service. Fill all my vision. I don't know if he knew I was going to uh, quote this, uh, but... We sang that, and in the song and in the scripture here, uh, what Paul is saying is that uh, we've, it's looking at God is like looking in a mirror, and the reflection is reflected back, and that's the way Moses was. When he looked at God's face, the glory reflected back, and Moses became radiant and glorified and shining. And so the question is here for us, uh, are we changed as by the Spirit of the Lord? Is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, changing us? When we look at God, are we becoming like Him? You know, way back in, in the beginning, in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. But, you know, uh, you look at some people today and you say, "That's I don't want... I don't want to know God if he's like that, like that person. Forgetting the good that God intended, the, the goodness of God that's reflected in us, the goodness, not the bad, by the Spirit of God. Now, uh, how much of our character is reflected and how much glory do we have? Now, uh, I'm going to go back again to the word delight. We had a little bit of that, and I'm going to go back to that and consider some uh, basic scriptures here. And I have five from the book of uh, Proverbs. So let's go back to Proverbs, the uh, 11th chapter. Proverbs 11, 1, and consider, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. 
God loves exact weights and descriptions. We don't like to be cheated, do we? We like to buy something and know that we're getting full measure for our money. We want to know that. God doesn't cheat us, does he? No, God is not a cheat. He is not a liar. He loves, his delight is exact weight and you know the old story, and the kids won't understand this. But you remember back when you'd go to the butcher shop and you'd buy some meat. And you'd say, if you're going to weigh that thumb, cut it off and let me have it. <laughs> remember? Now the, the butcher put the paper up there, put the meat on, put his thumb on it, and put the meat on, and kind of, he could hold the scale down, if he's a cheat. But a lot of them aren't cheats. A lot of them are good folks. You just have to watch them. Because a lot of them aren't like God. A lot of them are. There are people all over this world that have good character. Okay, uh, Proverbs 11, verse uh, 20. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Wait, uh, wait, I'm, I'm in chapter 10. Let me, I turn the page here to you. 11 to verse 20. Excuse me. They that are of a froward heart are abomination to the Lord. That is, arrogant, haughty, boastful. Those, those people are abomination to the Lord. But such as are upright in their way are his delight. Keeping the commandments, being upright, being good, you know, that God delights in a person. He likes you if you're that way. If you're like him, he likes you. If you're not like him, he doesn't like you as much. So get, we have to get like God if we want him to delight in us. In uh, chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. This is one of the things that we ought to, parents, really teach our children when they're first beginning to get around and understand and talk and hear is say the truth. Never say a lie. Never be a lie. Always be truthful. That's the way God is. God doesn't lie. He is, not, he is always truthful. And so we can teach ourselves to be truthful. Now, we know there's a balance of time. Sometimes we don't need to tell everything. We don't need to blab out everything. We've got to have discretion. We've got to be careful. We've got to be cautious. And, uh, you know, you can do a lot of harm if you just blab everything that you are and you've done. And, you know, some people, they, they've done, like I said earlier, they've done everything. They've been everywhere and they'll fabricate. Uh, you can't believe them. Uh, they're just liars. Let's, let's, what if God was a liar? Wouldn't all this be futile? If we couldn't believe him in salvation, uh, you mean you were really joking, God? You mean I don't have, I'm not going to live forever? That's just a big joke? No. God is true. Let every man be a liar, but God is true, and his witness is true, and he loves. I'm, I'm just getting carried away with some of this, I know. Chapter 15, we'll, we'll shorten it up here a little bit and finish up. Chapter 15, verse 8. The sacrifices of the wicked 
is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Now, we talked earlier in our Bible study, in a few earlier chapters, uh, God was uh, condemning uh, the people for bringing their sacrifices and, and their offerings to him because they were based on fraud. They were lies. They were uh, dishonest. You know, God says, remember this? He says, don't bring the cost of a dog into the temple. Now, is he talking about a four-legged uh, four canine? Four-leafed. <laughs> That's a clover. <laughs> I know, I'm getting old. But I know the difference between a clover and a dog, a canine, okay? <laughs> a dog has four legs. What are you wiping your brow for over there? You, okay, but what he means is don't bring the price of a homosexual, of a sodomite, into the temple. If you're a pimp and you're making money off of homosexuality and all of that, don't give an offering to God. Don't give a first fruits. Don't give a tithe. That's an abomination to God. He doesn't approve of that. And he doesn't approve of lying, cheating, false weights. He doesn't approve of dishonest gains. If you're a merchant and you're cheating people and then you're trying to uh, appease God and give an offering to God, that's an abomination to God. Because he sees the lies and the cheating and the fraud and the distortion that's going on in the society today. Does he not? He's not happy with it. And he's going to, that's another story, another message, how God is going to deal with that. But I've got uh, a few more verses here, then we'll be closing. And uh, still got some time. Okay, let's go to Isaiah, the 58th chapter. We're all familiar with that, uh, Isaiah 58. And uh, just... Uh, Read uh, verse uh, 13 and 14 here. Just a paragraph standing alone, these two verses. If, biggest little word in the English language, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, Honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then shall you delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If we call the Sabbath a delight, and if we delight in God, we shouldn't do it grudgingly. We shouldn't, uh, oh, you mean I can't go to work today? No. Oh, I love the Sabbath. I love Friday when I get off. Boss, I'm sorry. You're going to have to hire somebody else. I know Sabbath is a busy time of the year for you, but I just, I love the Sabbath, and I've got to be with God. I've got to go to church today. This is the day God commands my attendance on the Sabbath, or in the dwelling, if I can't make it, if I'm sick, and I'm handicapped, and I'm old, and I can't make it, then I still have to recognize and remember it in my dwelling. If not, God has commanded it. We're not here, brethren, because we just like to come. I know you're likable uh, folks, and we enjoy 
your presence and your fellowship. But the primary reason that we're here today, what is the primary reason we're here today? Somebody tell me. God says so. He commands us to be here. Whether we like it or not, we have to be here. We are to be here. Now, if we come and we're delightful and we're happy to be here, then we delight on ourselves in the Sabbath, then there's a blessing for us. We'll delight ourselves in the Lord. Then God will bless us. You know, God has a challenge. He says this, remember? This is a separate subject. It's a challenge. Do this, he says. Take your money and give me the first, give me my tithe, and see and know and experience that I'll stretch the other 90% farther and you'll have more and you'll have blessings. Not only a clear conscience, not only a goodness, but you'll have me adding to that 90%. So you won't even miss the 10%. Now, if a person says, I can't give God his 10% this week, I've got to pay my bills. If you pay God first, I don't care whether you call it pay him or give to him. If you pay God first or give God first, I know I'm talking to the choir here. We proved this, haven't we? We give God his first, then he'll send blessings on us for the rest of it. So if you're struggling financially, what you need to do is any money that you get that is tithable, Give God his portion and see. Take his challenge. See if God, take God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to give you this 10%. Now you show me. And if you do this in the right attitude, we've got to have a right attitude. God will do it. How many of us have proved it? I've proven it. I've know. I've know. We know. Look at the hands are going up. Out in the, I can't see you on the internet, but probably... Some of you, some of you don't believe this. How many, uh, no, I don't want to ask that question. <laughs> don't want to ask a negative question. They say a lawyer should never ask a question he knows the answer to. Right? So I'm not a lawyer, so I can't get away with it. <laughs> I can only ask the good questions. And the good question is, how many of us have proved that God means what he says and he'll do it? And we have to raise a hand. I won't ask the second question. Okay. In Romans, we better hustle along here because we still have a green light. Romans, the seventh chapter. Romans seven twenty-two. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The law of God. That old law of God. I, I had a man tell me one time, I'm sorry, a minister that I knew for many years in the church, and he left, and the, I ministered with him, and I loved him, and he's deceased now, and I told you this before. He told me one time, I'm so glad I'm out from under that old law of God. Oh, I still remember that. Because he stopped loving the law of God in his inward heart. Now, I, um, I'll just leave that that how many of us really love and delight are pleased and happy and blessed 
knowing the law of God in our heart. Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8. There's two verses here that go Old Testament, New Testament. So let's go to the Old Testament first. Psalm in the 40th chapter. And um, verse 7 and 8. Have to have to break into some wonderful uh, thoughts here and some wonderful words of God that He's uh, doing. The psalmist is uh, uh, blessing the man and for the goodness that God has done to him. And uh, but we'll just uh, verse seven and verse. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do Thy will, O God. Yea, my law. Yea, Thy law is within my heart. And he goes on, now let's, let's go to, this is quoted in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. We just have to kind of cut that uh, short there. Uh, Hebrews and uh, chapter 10. We'll read here. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings you wouldst not. But a body have you prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you would not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come, to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And uh, we've explained this before, the, the old covenant and the new covenant and Christ and how he excelled and how we have now, we are Christian. We're not Muslim. We're not Hindu. We're not Confucianist. We're not Islamist. Muslim. We are not Jews. We are Christians, Christian believers. And Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He has excelled and made more excellent this glory that we are inhabiting and that we are experiencing. God delights in changing the death penalty from the old covenant, the physical things that they experienced, to life pardon, to grace, to mercy, to freedom. Now, I'm going to close here. I've got four things written down here, and I hope I can read them all because I was running out of uh, paper when I started writing this closing here. So bear with me a little bit, okay? Uh, God's, uh, no, here. God is glorified when we honor and obey him in love. Okay? He is delighted when we honor and obey him in love. We, mankind, are glorified in Christ when we honor and obey and love him. We are delighted that in him we are glorified. Now and forever. Now think about those things. And then ask ourselves, as I conclude this message, 
How much like God am I? In a good and a positive and a glorious way. Do I delight in the same things that God delights in? How much like God am I? Is his glory being reflected in me so that when people see me, they say, that person, that man or that woman is like God. They're like Christ. They're a Christian. They're good. And they're a glorious, wonderful person being made new in the image of God. 